Yeah, one of the, um, I hadn't seen this, this quote before, but since, since the Queen died, various sort of quotes of hers have been surfacing and being shared. And one of the things she said, this was many years ago now, but someone was asking her about her own faith as a, as a Christian believer. And they, they asked something like, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus? And she said, oh yes, I, I'm longing for it. And they said, why? And she said, because, and I'm paraphrasing, I am so longing to lay my crown at the feet of my king. And what a privilege we have to, to have a king in our Lord Jesus who is uh, perfect in every way, such a kind sovereign over us. Uh, we're thinking about how that king Jesus is, is good news for us physically, how he's good news for our bodies. Yesterday we were thinking about how we are created, fearfully and wonderfully made, we're intended. God meant for us to be here. Um, our bodies from him are a gift and something of a calling. Today, I want to think about how our bodies are broken. So let me just tell you three things that, that happen when you get into your 40s, just so you've got this to look forward to. Um, the first thing is that the world starts getting a bit too loud. I remember just as I was turning 40, thinking, can, you, can the rest of the planet just keep it down a bit? Um, the second thing is you, you actually start really looking forward to going to bed. I, I, from about eight o'clock, I'm getting excited about going to bed. And here's the, the third thing is you still really hurt yourself in your 40s, but now you don't have a good story for it. Previously, if you, if you hurt yourself really badly, you'd have an amazing story. You'd be like, yeah, I was skydiving and the, the parachute didn't come out, um, or I was you know, in a shark attack or something. In your 40s and, and thereafter, you massively hurt yourself with, with no apparent story to, to account for it. So the, one of the most painful things I've ever been through, I was uh, traveling somewhere, I, I had this searing pain in my shoulder. Okay, it felt like one of those Nazgul swords had been kind of plunged <laughs> deep into it. Absolutely agonizing pain. I got a, a doctor to come and see me. Um, he gave me some... some uh, an injection of, of painkillers. I have never seen a needle so big in my life. I think this is the kind of needle you would normally use to sort of, you know, put down an elephant or something. But he <laughs> shoved this thing of pain relief into my, into my shoulder, which helped. I said, what, what happened? You know, what, what, what's the problem? And he said, well, you, you kind of slept on it badly. <laughs> I thought, okay, sleeping is now an extreme sport. <laughs> so you have that to look forward to. Um, but that is the nature of our, of our bodies. We, we, we don't have a, a straightforward relationship with our bodies. Our bodies do uh, break, and that brokenness shows itself um, as, we, as we get older. So I want to think about two things this morning. I want to think, firstly, about our body's brokenness, uh, the, the various aspects of that the Bible highlights. And then secondly, think about our body's hope and, and where the gospel really gives us consolation and hope in these things. So firstly, the, the body's brokenness, and the Bible shows us this in a number of ways. Uh, the first and the most obvious for many of us is, is in physical infirmity. Uh, we live in a world where our bodies go wrong, where we get sick. We live in a world where some people not only get sick, but some people stay sick. And there are people with all kinds of, of long-term physical afflictions and uh, conditions that they have to live with. So Let's just do a quick survey. Hands up who's had to take any medication in the last, I don't know, couple of days for anything. Okay, you guys are young, right? 
So, you know, even, even in your prime, we are needing help uh, for our health. And the Bible accounts for why this is. In, in Romans chapter 8, Paul gives us the kind of the scoop on why this has happened, what's going on behind the scenes. So in Romans 8 verse 20, Paul says, creation was subjected to futility. It's, there, there's something now baked into creation that is futile. He goes on to say, not willingly, this isn't something creation was, was wanting itself, but because of him who subjected it, God has frustrated this physical order. God has done that to creation. He then says, in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. There's a lot of stuff going on in there. But Paul is saying that the world is now out of joint. It doesn't work properly. And our bodies are part of that physical creation that has been subjected to frustration. Creation doesn't purr along happily as it was intended to. It, it falters, it's, it sputters. It's not always a wonderful place to be. And that includes our bodies. Our, our bodies don't work in the way that they were originally tended to. And Paul is saying God has done that to creation for a reason. Um, creation is subjected to frustration. Our bodies are broken as a demonstration of the fact that we are not right with God. It's a consequence and demonstration of our collective sin that means creation has been subjected to frustration. We don't relate to God in the way that we were originally tended to, and that is then manifested in our relationship to creation. Um, let's not misunderstand this. This is not saying that one person's particular illness or, or suffering is a sign of that person's particular sin. It's far more generalized. That any of us suffers is a sign that none of us collectively, left to ourselves, are right with God. Uh, creation isn't right because we're not right. Which is why creation is longing to be restored and its own restoration is, is bound up with the, the glory of the children of God. So Paul goes on to say a couple of verses earlier, he says that creation is waiting with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God because when we are fully redeemed, creation will be restored. But in the meantime, we, we live in a world, Paul continues to say in Romans 8, characterized by groaning. Creation groans and, and we groan. That is the norm. And so we should expect in a fallen world, we should expect infirmity and sickness. Being a Christian doesn't exempt us from that. Uh, the idea that if you're a Christian, that means you will be healed, you will be delivered from any kind of physical sickness, is just a, a, such a profoundly unbiblical idea. Now, this age is the age of groaning, not without rejoicing, but it is an age of groaning, and then we await for our liberation as sons and daughters of God. So as long as we are in these bodies, we can expect to face infirmity. There are times God chooses to heal. There are times when God gives us the, the common grace to, to find ways of, of curing things. But there are many times as well when we, we just have to suffer in these bodies. Uh, they're broken. 
So infirmity is one aspect of, of that brokenness. Another aspect, and this may be closer to home for many of us, is shame. We feel shame because of our bodies. Uh, significantly in Genesis 3, as, as Adam and Eve turn away from God and, and sin enters the world, one of the first consequences of that is they feel a sense of physical shame and have to cover themselves. They now feel vulnerable and exposed physically before each other. And we've been feeling our own version of that shame ever since. And for some people, it's shame because of, of the way their body looks. Uh, many people feel unhappiness with some aspects of their appearance. Um, all the statistics on this show that the, that the numbers of, of people who are unhappy with the way they look, uh, it's increasing. All the trends are going in the wrong direction on this. And there are lots of reasons for that. People are, are saying that there's this sort of various societal pressures that are, are kind of feeding into that. One, one kind of thing I was reading is, is saying that the, the standard of beauty that we're being presented with these days is increasingly unattainable. Uh, we're seeing images of this is what it, an attractive man or an attractive woman looks like, which isn't actually realistic. Even the person themselves has been photoshopped and, and all the rest of it. So one, one friend of mine said, yeah, the, the, the more this goes on, the, the, we all just feel uglier. <laughs> kind of year on year as this, this sort of standard of beauty becomes ever more unattainable. But we all feel this in different ways. I mentioned yesterday a friend who was anxious going to the beach. Uh, another very dear friend of mine uh, shared with me once, he, he feels self-conscious because he's so skinny. He says when he was growing up, he was always told men were meant to be powerfully built and he, he's just skinny, he can't help it. And he's always felt embarrassed about having to take his top off in public. Other guys would be thinking, well, I wish skinniness was my problem. Because some of us will feel self-conscious about being overweight. Um, whatever it is that for so many people, there are aspects of appearance that cause us to feel shame. But appearance is not the only cause of shame when it comes to our bodies. Sin can cause us to feel shame. It may be something that we've done with our body that then makes us feel ashamed of it. Uh, we associate our body with some of the particular wrongs that it's been used for. Um, just uh, while I'm in Romans, in, this is wonderful, I only noticed this just recently, but in Romans chapter 6, uh, we'll get into a bit of this tomorrow, so I'm, I'm kind of stealing my own thunder. But Paul says in Romans 6 verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin, members meaning parts of the body. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. In other words, Paul is saying, don't use the parts of your body for, for the agenda of sin. That's what we all did. Back in Romans 3, when Paul was kind of trying to prove that all of us alike are under God's wrath, he speaks about our sinfulness in very physical bodily terms. We have been using the parts of our body for sin. And Paul is saying, don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We can now offer the parts of our body to God as instruments of righteousness. And here's the thing I want you to see. This is, this is why I love this, this passage. 
those very parts of the body that we had been using for sin, God will now receive and use for righteousness. Those parts of the body we might feel shame about because of how we've used them, those parts of the body, because of Christ, can now be offered to God and acceptable to him and useful to him. I was talking with a, with a friend of mine a few years ago. He was just um, preparing to, to get married. And he was saying to me he had sinned sexually a huge amount over the years and was, was now repentant, was now preparing to, to marry. But he, he confessed to me, he said, I'm struggling to see how sex, even within marriage now, could be glorifying to God given how much I've misused it. And actually Romans 6 answers that. Those members that we've used for sin can now be offered to the Lord as instruments for righteousness. But we do feel shame about our bodies because of what we've done with our bodies. And for a number of us, we'll feel shame because of what's been done to our bodies. We might feel shame because of what others have done to us. That can define how we see our bodies. Uh, one of the, the most tragic aspects of abuse is it, it's often the victim who comes away feeling the shame and not the perpetrator. And it's very easy for the victim to think, well, this is, this is just who I am. I'm the kind of person others do this to and carry around a sense of shame. So we, we see brokenness in our infirmity, we see brokenness in our shame. We also see brokenness in, a, in an issue we're far more conscious of now than we have been in, in other years, in, in the whole area of gender dysphoria. Uh, dysphoria is the opposite to euphoria. Euphoria is, is elation and, and joy and release. Dysphoria is deep and profound unease. And so gender dysphoria describes that the unease when someone feels as though they've been born as the wrong sex, or they feel as though their body doesn't match their inner sense of, of who they truly are. Uh, some people in the Christian world can confuse us with, with, with same-sex attraction. The two, the two things are quite different. Um, things like same-sex attraction are about who you want to go to bed with. Gender identity is about who you want to go to bed as. And it's obviously become a, a massive issue in, in, in the Western world over the last three years. We've had a succession of very high profile celebrities uh, coming out as transgender and sharing something of their story. Caitlyn Jenner sort of kicked it all off a few years ago. Um, uh, Elliot Page, is that the right name? I keep forgetting this actor's last name. There's been another one. and did that interview with, with Oprah and talked about that experience of going through transition and then looking in the mirror and thinking, yes, there you are now. At last, recognizing who they always thought that they were. And of course, this ties into to how our culture thinks about our identity. We, we touched on this yesterday, but the idea is that it's who you believe yourself to be that is truly who you are. 
As one uh, activist said, gender is not about what's between your legs, but what's between your ears. It's not to do with your body, it's to do with your mind, to do with your perception. And in our culture, you won't truly flourish unless you embrace your inner sense of identity, and it's become a matter of justice. And it can sound compelling. Uh, many of our intuitions kind of line up with that. But we're reminded, if we keep coming back to Genesis 1 and 2, that our bodies are not arbitrary. The real me is not some separatable sense that I, I can just get by looking deep down inside my heart. No, who I am is, is revealed to me by my Creator. And as I was trying to say yesterday, we're not simply souls that are trapped in bodies. We are flesh that has been animated. Our body is part of our God-given identity that includes our biological sex. It is not arbitrary. And so when there seems to be some kind of conflict between the, the, the body and our mind or our, our inner sense of self, we can't assume that the body's wrong. And we can't assume that our inner sense of, of perception is right. Um, I've had a few friends over the years who have um, suffered from anorexia. And I think of one particular friend who, it got to the stage where he was dangerously thin, but still felt himself to be grotesquely overweight. And he was refusing to eat and his it was, his life was in danger. It would not have been loving to my friend to affirm how he felt about his body, however sincerely he felt it, because his perception was not actually accurate. And the fact is we're, we're just not good at understanding who we are. Our bodies have been subjected to frustration. They, they don't work as, the, as they should. Sometimes they don't look or feel the way that we would want them to. But it's also true that our hearts and minds don't work properly either. So Paul, speaking of, of humanity in general, says in, in Romans 1 verse 21, in their thinking they became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Um, he goes on in Ephesians to describe the futility of our thinking in Ephesians 4 verse 18. Paul says, they're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So am I saying that our, our transgender friends are futile in their thinking, foolish in their hearts, and darkened in their minds? Now, I'm saying that's true of all of us. We all are. Apart from the grace of Jesus Christ, we're not qualified to determine our own identity. We can't. It would be the equivalent of, of you trying to physically make your own clothes and not knowing your measurements. You would guess and think well, that that kind of looks about the right kind of size and, and some things would, would fit, some things would be a bit loose, some things would be a little bit more tight. <laughs> it just, we, any identity we come up with for ourselves won't fit us. 
The only identity that will be a good fit is the identity that comes from the God who knows us exhaustively and fully. Which is why the answer to all of these issues is to know our Creator. And as we come to Jesus, we're not just, we're not just coming to some deity, we're not just coming to some religious leader, we're coming to the one who made us fearfully and wonderfully. Uh, one of the things I, I love about Jesus is he didn't just create us in the sense of assembling the pieces as if, you know, he got a flat pack thing and then just sort of got his Allen key out and assembled us. Jesus creating us means this. It means he had the idea of you in the first place. Jesus thought you up. And he was having a good day when he did. So we will only truly understand ourselves when we come to Jesus. I love the, the response of the, the woman at the well in John 4. She has that interaction with Jesus. The first thing she does is she goes back to her home village and she says to the people there, come and, man, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Our bodies will one day be redeemed. Back in Romans 8, Paul talks about how we await the redemption of our bodies. They are unredeemed at the moment. They're not fully redeemed. And it means we have to live with bodily brokenness in this age. Which means we won't have a straightforward relationship with them. And so, if you're groaning because of your body, whether that's through affliction or through a sense of shame or through something like gender dysphoria, that is sadly normal for this world. If you're looking for your body to fulfill you, if you're thinking, well, if I can just get my body the way I want it to, that will make life okay, you will be heading for disappointment. Now, our bodies are still gifts. David can still say of his broken body, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made but they're problematic gifts. Well, that would be depressing if that was the end of the story, but we, we move from our body's brokenness to thinking about our body's hope, and the, the gospel helps us in two ways here. The gospel gives us compassion. When it comes to any of these forms of bodily brokenness, Christians should be more compassionate than anybody else. Uh, when it comes to our transgender friends, a lot of the thinking, a lot of the ideology may be very flawed. But the pain is very real. And there may well be some among us who are wrestling with, with gender dysphoria. A very dear friend of mine has been wrestling with gender dysphoria for many decades now. And if there's anyone here who is, is suffering that particular kind of pain, I, I know I can speak for this community and say we love you. And we would not want you to face that pain on your own. And all of us need to make this community a place where it's safe for anyone to share any affliction that they're going through, whatever it may be. But for those of us, again, as, as Christians, we should be all the more compassionate because the Bible helps us to understand where these pains come from. We know that the fact, you know, we're given the theological resources to understand that 
that our sin means we're not just out of sync with God, we're out of sync with one another, we're out of sync with creation, and we're out of sync with ourselves. And so, no wonder there are people who feel so deeply ill at ease in their own flesh. We should get that in a way that no one else does. The, the Bible shows us two things that are always going to be true of every single person we meet. They're amazing. And they're a mess. But the gospel doesn't just give us compassion, the gospel gives us hope. Because the, the gospel shows us the problems we have with our bodies are never ultimately going to be solved by our bodies. And the fact that we have problems with our bodies is not a sign that our bodies need to be escaped and that, you know, we just need to be detached from them and to, to be sort of the spirits that float off untethered from them. Our problems with our bodies are not a sign that our bodies need to be replaced, that, you know, we were put in the wrong one. No, our bodies need to be redeemed. And again, if we think, well, if I can just get the body I want, that will make life okay, that, that is mistaken. Uh, one of the tragedies when it comes to the whole area of, of transgenderism is the amount of pain experienced by people after they've transitioned from one kind of identity to another. Uh, the rates of regrets, the rates of suicide are appalling. And there'll be many reasons for that, we're, <clears throat> we're complicated creatures. But at least part of that, I'm sure, is because of this. If we, if we spend years thinking, well, this transition is going to be the thing that finally makes me feel okay. I'm finally going to feel at home in my body. I'm finally going to feel authentic. I'm finally going to feel truly myself. And you go through that process that is hugely invasive. And you come out the other end, and you're not feeling fully free. Well, you've not gone back to square one. You're now somewhere far worse, because now you don't have hope. No, the problems we have with our bodies are not going to be fixed by our bodies. Our only hope is actually the body of Jesus. So Paul tells us in, in Colossians 1 verse 22 that God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. That physical body of Jesus that he perfectly stewarded, that he perfectly offered to his heavenly father hour by hour, day by day, year by year, the body which was the site of, of perfect obedience and worship that body was given over for us. And so the hope for us in, in our brokenness, in, in all of our brokenness, is that Jesus went through ultimate bodily brokenness for us. So as we think about our affliction, we remember Jesus went through ultimate affliction. His experience of human physical pain was comprehensive. Not just in his his crucifixion, but in his scourging. Jesus experienced the far extremities of human physical pain. 
Or we think about shame. Jesus experienced ultimate shame for us. We're told in Isaiah 53 that as Jesus hung on that cross, his appearance was, was so marred beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. We're told later on that, that people actually turned their faces away from him. It's interesting, you've, you've seen the phenomenon of, of you know, if there's a, a, a wreck on the road, people will slow down to get a good look at it. There's some kind of weird thing in our, our human psyche that, that makes us want to look. And so you'll, you'll be in a traffic jam for, for a long time and you'll eventually realize it's simply because there's a wreck on the other side of the road and people are wanting to have a look. We call it rubbernecking. People are twisting their necks around just to have a look. There's that kind of morbid fascination, but there's also a category of suffering that is so appalling, we twist our necks in the other way. We can't bear to look at it. And that was what happened with Jesus. People could not bear to look at him. Men hid their faces from him. Jesus knows ultimate shame. Jesus knew what it meant to be unbearable for other people to look at him. And there is a sense in which Jesus experienced one form of dysphoria, not of, of gender dysphoria, but we're told that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus took in our flesh all of our sin and shame. That is the ultimate experience of being in the wrong flesh. And he went through it for us. All of which means that we now have hope for our bodies. Our bodies will one day be redeemed. This bodily experience we have now is not the only bodily experience we're ever going to have. So for those of us my age and, and older, not many of us in the room, there's a few of us. I'll say it again louder. Um, our best, all for all of us, our best physical days are now ahead of us. Because one day we will be resurrected. This body you see before you now, these eyes, these fingerprints will be resurrected. And our bodies will be redeemed. And so like creation, in the meantime, we, we do groan. But we groan with that sense of expectation, that yearning for what we know we will have in Christ. And what Jesus went through in his ultimate bodily brokenness means our, our bodies are no longer identified by what we've done with them. They're no longer identified by what others have done to them. They're now identified by what Jesus has done for them. And tomorrow we'll see amazingly that Jesus can say of each of our bodies that it is now his, even more than it is ours. Let's have a moment of quiet and then I will pray for us. Our Father, we have thought about some very, very tender issues this morning and so we pray 
that you would give us comfort in Christ. Jesus himself, we're told in Luke 2, was the, was the consolation of Israel. And may he be our consolation in all the sorrow that we bear in this broken world. Father, we pray in the light of this, you'd help us to love one another well. To be careful with one another. To be understanding of one another. To be compassionate towards one another. We pray that this would be a, a community where all of our various forms of affliction would be ones that we feel able to talk about. That none of us would be having to carry a burden on our own. And we pray, Lord, that all of us would be encouraging one another to look to that future redemption of our bodies. We pray, Father, you'd keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And we think of him even now, still bearing the scars of what he did in his flesh to redeem our bodies. Help us to fix our eyes on him. For we pray it in his name. Amen.